Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Associate E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be talking about slowing aging, reducing belly fat, and beating your sugar cravings with bitter foods. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys a few reasons why bitter foods should be on your plate. And later, we'll be chatting with our expert for today, Dr. Jen Stagg, a naturopathic physician, founder, and medical director of Whole Health Wellness Center, and also the author of The Bitter Prescription. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show from all over the world. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. So y'all, if you've been following this podcast, you know that I talked about this in the episode about how to beat your sugar cravings, but I first discovered the power of bitter foods when they helped me kick my sugar habit. Just by consuming bitter herbal concoctions, I went from literally chilling in the vegan bakery so often people thought I was employed there, to consuming green drinks with gasp, no apple, or no pear to sweeten them. In all of the major ancient systems of healing, including traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, Native American healing protocols, the taste of food and herbs has been recognized as a form of medicine. In each of these systems, how taste is used to indicate healing is unique. But by understanding how our bodies react to different tastes, we can actually get a better understanding of how we're being affected physiologically and also how we can eat to bring ourselves back into balance. The five flavors that should be a part of all of our meals include sweet, salty, sour, pungent, and bitter. At various points in our lifespan, we may find that we gravitate more towards certain tastes, but if we overdo it, we can actually throw our system off of balance. So sweet foods, which you all know, it also includes bland foods. They're usually high calorie foods that are heavy, provide high nutrient content in the form of fat, protein, carbs, and essential vitamins and minerals. Depending on what you're talking about, we're not talking about processed foods right now. (laughs) Eating sweet or bland foods has a nourishing effect on the body and is also grounding and comforting. Consuming excess sweet or bland foods, however, can cause lethargy, sluggishness, reduce appetite, poor digestion, improper elimination, increase mucus production in the body, and difficulty focusing. Some examples of sweet or bland foods include animal fats, eggs, meat, milk, fruit and fruit juices, grains, nuts and seeds, root crops, and winter squashes. Herbs include cinnamon, fennel, goji berry, licorice, marshmallow, and shatavari. Pungent foods, which includes foods and herbs that are spicy and are stimulating, can help to balance more potent flavors such as sweet and salty foods and dishes. Consuming pungent foods can stimulate our digestion and assimilation, and pungent aromatic herbs such as ginger, black pepper, and sage also help to relieve symptoms of gas and bloating. If you consume pungent foods in excess, you can experience irritability, exhaustion, feel emotionally taxed, or overstimulated. Some examples of pungent foods include horseradish, hot peppers, mustard greens, radishes, raw onions, leek, garlic, and watercress. Herbs include basil, black pepper, 
cayenne, cinnamon, clove, cumin, ginger, mint, nutmeg, rosemary, sage, and thyme. Sour foods cause tissue contraction, can tone mucous membranes, and stimulate the release of bile from the liver and the gallbladder. The sour taste is generally cooling, moistening, and toning in small amounts, and is helpful in the digestion of fats, oils, and protein-rich foods. If consumed in excess, sour foods can cause heat, aggravation to the GI tract, hunger, and low blood sugar symptoms. Excess can also result in skin conditions such as acne, eczema, psoriasis, boils, and aggravated arthritis. Some examples of sour foods include berries, citrus, fermented dairy, fermented vegetables, some fruits such as green apples, grapes, plums, kombucha, miso. Herbs include hawthorn berry, hibiscus, and rose hips. Salty foods, when eaten in moderation, promote proper digestion and improve nutrient absorption. In excess, salty foods can irritate inflammation in the body or on the skin, such as rashes, cause emotional irritation or agitation, and too much salt also causes the body to retain water and can lead to edema, swelling, and increased blood pressure. Salt has a grounding, heavy, moistening, soothing, and warming effect on the body, and when used in cooking, it draws out other flavors. If you are nervous, struggle with anxiety, or have dry skin, hair, or nails, you may benefit from consuming more salty foods if your blood pressure is not high. The best form of salt to consume is unprocessed and unrefined salt that is rich in minerals, which are nourishing to the musculoskeletal system. Some salty foods include anchovies, celery, smoked meat, hard cheeses, meat, olives, and sea vegetables. Herbs include cumin, celery seeds, cilantro, coriander, dill, parsley, and lovage. Of these five core flavors, last but not least, (laughs) bitter foods are probably the least popular foods to consume of these five flavors, but they actually happen to be the most metabolically active of the five core flavors. Consuming bitter foods promotes detoxification, promotes hormone regulation, stimulates metabolic functioning, and the breakdown and assimilation of nutrients. Bitter foods also have a cooling, drying, and anti-inflammatory effect on the body and stimulate the entire digestive process. Beyond relieving digestive-related symptoms such as acid reflux, heartburn, and other GI tract disturbances, getting in a little bitter every now and then can also support a healthy appetite, improve heart health, lower cholesterol, help with weight management, and improve blood sugar balance. Despite all of these amazing benefits, bitter foods tend to be the most neglected and are not staples in the Western or standard American diet. Some bitter foods you can start to include today include kale, arugula, artichoke, radicchio, chard, endive, watercress, bitter melon, dandelion greens, dark chocolate or cacao, bitter herb liquid supplements. Some bitter herbs include burdock root, caraway seeds, chamomile, coriander, dandelion root, fenugreek seed, orange peel, rosemary, sage, thyme, and yellow dog. Some of my personal favorite bitter foods or drinks include yerba mate, matcha green tea, pao de arco bark tea, hops, and pretty much all the brassica veggies. I'm going to link my free bitter food handout in the show notes for anyone who wants to get started ASAP on consuming bitter foods. All right, y'all, we are going to take a short break, but when we return, we are going to talk to our amazing guest. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? 
I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who've worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. Today's guest on the show is Dr. Jennifer Stagg. She's a naturopathic physician and founder and medical director of Whole Health Wellness Center in Connecticut. Dr. Stagg is also the author of two books, Unzip Your Genes and The Bitter Prescription, and is routinely interviewed, appearing as an expert guest in the media on the topic of nutrigenomics. She has always been passionate about science and health and started out as a doctoral student in biochemistry at the University of Iowa. Dr. Stagg is the former director of the USDA Agricultural Research Service Medicinal Botanical Program at Mountain State University. She also serves on medical advisory boards and is an industry consultant. Dr. Stagg is a well-known authority in precision lifestyle medicine, a medical educator, and a sought-after speaker. She has appeared on NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stagg. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Um, I'm excited about bitter foods, which I don't think a lot of people are that (laughs) excited about. I think it means a different name, honestly, but, um, bitter (laughs) is what it is. So, but you can play with it. That's so true. Before we get into bitter foods, I want to know what made you decide to become a naturopath? Yeah. So, um, I was kind of headed down a really academic route. I was actually in a PhD program in um, nutrition, nutritional Mm -hmm. biochemistry. And um, I kind of thought I might want to go into medicine instead. So I didn't like that whole, like, I just, it's not that I didn't like it. I should say I I didn't think it was a good fit for me. I knew I wanted to work with people. So then I thought I was going to just do an MD PhD. So uh, then I started pursuing that, but then I just happened upon in the career planning center at the University of Iowa um, information about naturopathic medicine, which I had never heard before. And from that moment that I just remember opening up this brochure, it really, I, you know, I was completely hooked. It was a perfect choice for me. Um, It offered like everything that um, kind of fulfilled all my interests and desires. So um, that really led me here. Yeah. That's very cool. And then what what led you to being fascinated about bitter foods enough to write an entire book? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, some of the core uh, principles of naturopathic medicine are uh, focused on digestive health. And, you know, we all know how important that is. And science continues to prove that. Um, and then um, I, I was, my first book was actually about genetics and epigenetics. And so I did kind of introduce some of these topics about the importance of superfoods and but you know I didn't talk a lot about that in there but mm-hmm. um this book is completely about the food piece and what it does to your overall health 
And it really is these bitter components, these bitter bioactives, you know, we call them phytonutrients, phytochemicals. There's a lot of different terms we can use for it. I'm so glad you said that. I was literally going to ask you that question because I think of that as phytonutrients or phytochemicals from a nutrition perspective. So I was kind of like, what is this bioactive? Yeah. Yeah. So these bitters are... um, for many like traditional herbalists and, you know, anyone in functional nutrition, we kind of know about bitter herbs and what they do for the digestion, um, improving digestion. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't necessarily think about food so much in that way. But, you know, all plants have bitters in them. And these yes. bitters bind the bitter taste receptors, which influences your digestion, your metabolism. Like this at its root is why plants are so, so important for our health. But generally speaking, there are some plants that have more bitter components than others, right? Yep, absolutely. So, um, so first of all, I would clarify that bitter, you know, we think about bitter and we think bitter taste and yes, we have bitter taste receptors. And when we taste something bitter, we know it does contain those bitter compounds, but some foods don't necessarily have a strong bitter taste yet they Mm. can still be categorized as bitters. So some of the classic bitters we would think about that you would taste bitter would be things like arugula, um, Mm -hmm. lemon, green tea. Like the longer you steep green tea, it'll taste more bitter. It's because more of those phytoactive compounds are being extracted. Um, But there are foods that are not necessarily that you would qualify as bitter that have, you know, this bitter profile. So you can find bitters in nuts and seeds. You can find bitters in um, beans. You can find bitters in fruit. So like a cherry or apples, there's, you know, there are undertones of bitter. If you really take your time and taste food, which that's another Mm -hmm. big problem we all have, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, taking your time to enjoy and taste the flavor profile of foods, you can start to detect more bitters than the sweet in there, right? Yeah. You, you talked a little bit about how this, uh, that there was an evolutionary idea that animals, that bitters were created to protect animals from poisonous foods. And, and, And in my mind, who loves to nerd out, I'm like, well, if it was a protective mechanism, then how can these foods be so good for us? Because they clearly are. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. So um, it, when things taste extremely bitter, they will also contain some compounds that can have toxicity. Um, mm. And so, you know, we're, we're able to taste bitter and a lot of these bitter compounds are very good for us, but plants are complex. And so there can be compounds that um, a lot of these really toxic compounds that you can find when, you know, most people have heard of like certain berries are toxic. You shouldn't eat these berries, like certain wild berries. Um, And if you were to taste that, you would find it like extremely averse to the point where, and it is like, and it's the bitter component, but so averse that you're not just like, oh, this is bitter. This must be good for me. So right. I'm going to caution you about trying to go overboard on trying to taste something that's extremely bitter because um, it may have some of these toxic compounds in there. And if you eat too much of it, then you could be in trouble. From what I understand, especially when it comes to Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, it's it's always about balance. Yes. Um, but it seems as though we're just 
at least in American culture, we're definitely imbalanced in the opposite direction. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So we're kind of conditioned now. The American diet is really conditioned. And I did mention this in my book as well to taste sweet and mm -hmm. plants are actually have been genetically modified to de-bitter them. Yes. I thought that was such a good point. And I was like, oh my God, how horrible is that? Like know, literally so we are changing, altering our food to make it less nutritionally beneficial. Yes. Yes. Like Horrible. huge problem. Yeah. So if you go and you, um, people may be familiar with like heirloom varieties of plants. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you have like an heirloom tomato, heirloom apple, so if you're able to access some of this, like at your local farmer's market, um, when you taste that it will taste completely different than some, you know, store-bought food. Wow. Amazing. I love the term that you used in your book where you were talking about inflammaging. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm really big on like, and I don't call it anti-aging because I love what you say. I, I say exactly what you said in your book, which is we're all going to age people. Like yeah. um, it's really just about slowing that process. And people I think don't realize how drastically they actually can slow the process if they're doing the right things. But what does bitter foods have to do with aging? You wouldn't normally just associate those two things. Right. Yeah. So what um, we know about aging is that we can slow down the aging process and we can also accelerate it. So the you know standard American lifestyle of high stress, overeating, you know, making poor food choices, those all of those things will lead to accelerated aging. So when we think about the poor food choices, uh, these, you know, consuming more plants that have bitter compounds in there will enhance your health, especially your metabolic and digestive health. So when I talk about metabolic health, I'm um, really referring to improved blood sugar control, reductions in insulin, like improved insulin sensitivity. And we know that that makes a huge difference in terms of um, inflammation. And we know that mm. inflammation, so then, you know, these are different kind of steps along the way. So if you have more inflammation, that will directly accelerate the aging process. So your, your goal all the time is to reduce your reduce uh, inflammation. Mm -hmm. And a big part of what causes inflammation for many of us is uh, excess belly fat. Mm. And the, eating more bitter foods, is that going to help me reduce my belly fat? Absolutely. So first of all, you're going to, uh, it's going to impact your appetite. So um, we, when we eat more bitter foods, we tend to eat less. So we're not um, going to consume as many calories. Um, and, and obviously that makes a difference for um, healthy weight management. Mm -hmm. um, but also, uh, you know, when a patient comes to me and, you know, their main concern oftentimes is that they're having trouble um, losing weight, we often look at their whole metabolic profile. So we're looking at glucose and insulin testing. And if we do find anything off there, then we really are using herbs and, you know, targeted nutrition to help improve their metabolic health. And this is where we would think about things like bitters that we know directly can impact glucose control, but bitters that can also enhance digestive health. Yeah. Let's talk about digestive health. Like in what different ways 
can bitter foods improve our digestion? Because you talked about how, you know, over time, our digestion usually starts to fail us a little bit. It it gets worse and worse. We kind of lose some taste receptors. um, and, And that seems to be standard as we get older. Yeah. So, um, bitters are really important for a healthy digestion. So as we get older, our digestion does, um, start to get a little sluggish. So we have, you know, as people get older, there's a reason why ads for Metamucil and fiber, um, are targeting seniors. Uh, we have, I have these, I had a funny conversation with a patient this week who, um, was starting to notice, notice, you know, sluggish bowel. And we kind of had that conversation. Um, but this can be a direct impact of the effect of, um, losing bitter receptors. Mm. Um, the good news is you can, you know, improve that by eating more bitter. So when you eat more bitters, you end up with more bitter taste receptors and mm. bitter um, receptors throughout your digestive tract. So that helps enhance motility, but also the whole, you know, component of um, malnutrition where we're not absorbing enough as well. So when you're over 50, um, we know that certain vitamin and mineral deficiencies are more likely and mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with absorption. And so when you're eating bitter foods or consuming uh, bitter digestive herbal blends, that can help um, you break down your food better. So it can enhance um, if you if you need uh, a lot of uh, extra acid, extra enzymes. Um, as we age, all of those can, those functions can decline. Bitters can um, help boost that function. So then we can better absorb the nutrition from our food. That's so interesting that like if you eat more bitters, you can get more bitter receptors. You were talking about the bitter receptors in different parts of the body. I guess what is the mechanism that causes you to you have increased bitter receptors just by eating more bitter foods? I don't understand that. Yeah, I think um, the main understanding of it is that it uh, when you eat bitters, it does ultimately have an effect on DNA expression. And so this is why you can have so many profound health benefits from bitters. And so when it it can turn on the genes that code for bitter receptors, basically, and then you can. Wow. Yeah. That's super cool. I, I feel like a lot of people, when they hear things like eat more bitter foods or like, you know, if they read your book, they might be like, oh, she says quercetin a bunch of times. So now I'm going to go take this quercetin supplement, <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. So <laughs> like, what would you say to people about, you know, going out to try to like supplement these bioactive compounds and individuality or eating whole foods, which is the best thing to do? Yeah, I mean, as a naturopathic doctor, we always think about nutrition kind of as number one. And we certainly do recommend supplements to get higher doses, you know, to address actual disease and dysfunction that's occurred. But fundamentally, we need to have that nutrition piece in place. Um, And so, yes, you can get bitters in capsules. And sometimes we do use those like really, you know, targeted to turn around a condition more quickly. But I always tell people you are not going to get the same results with just capsules if you don't change your diet, Um, Mm. but changing your diet and then supplementing. This is why it's called a supplement meant to be a supplement to a dietary uh, change um, will could give you enhanced benefits over diet alone. 
Okay. Gotcha. You talked about, so we can, even if we don't have a taste for bitter, we can improve our taste for bitter by eating more bitter. Do you think that our initial reaction, like I'm Nigerian American and we have a lot of bitter foods in our culture. And I'm just wondering, because I know that while a baby's in a mother's room, literally their palates are being formed to some degree. Does our like mother's diet affect then how we're going to react to bitter foods? Yeah, absolutely. So we know that when um, a mom has a you know, mom is pregnant, what she is eating does influence the palate. So when a baby then you introduce solid foods to the baby, um, Mm -hmm. what they've been exposed to in utero affects their adversity to food. So if you're eating a lot of spicy food, complex foods with, you know, bitters and, uh, you know, different uh, mixed kind of herbs and spice profile, a baby will be more likely to eat those foods when you introduce them. So like when I was pregnant, my first pregnancy, we I mean, I love Indian food, but we ate a lot of Indian food. And so like my little like under one year old boy was eating like spicy lentils and, you know, stuff, but he had no problem. Wow. I remember like being in a restaurant and I'm like mashing up like Indian food and people are like, wow, okay. (laughs) This little baby like eats Indian food. (laughs) That is awesome. Um, I love that you talked about low stomach acid. It's something that I see a lot of as well. And I want to talk with you because it seems like you've had a lot of experience with this on how to resolve it because it's such a common thing. And I think sometimes it also gets misdiagnosed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, most people are familiar with stomach acid in having too much of it. So a lot of people, you know, of course, we're bombarded with commercials for, you know, heartburn medicines, but in some cases, so obviously some of like people do validly have high acid as well, but in some of the cases where people are experiencing what they think is a heartburn type of symptom, a small proportion of those cases can be low acid. More common, however, is, you know, you're not really having any symptoms of heartburn and it's more of a, like people don't know they have low stomach acid because it kind of acts silently. Um, Mm. So more, you know, a a skilled provider can pick up those clues. It's probably some of the things that you've noticed um, would be someone with poor, like digestive problems. So it could either be constipation, it could be loose stools, um, it could be bloating, maldigestion. It could be kind of like a sense uh, someone could describe that they feel like food is sitting in their stomach too mm. long. Like they almost feel like it, it's just sitting there and they just feel, you know, a lot of times they'll just say, I feel gross. Like when I eat, like it just seems like it doesn't leave my stomach. Um, some of those are signs of low acid um, that you can actually, you know, experience some of those symptoms. But sometimes it comes from like, other conditions in your body that might kind of clue in a provider about the possibility of low acid. So it might be that some of these cases like acne, rosacea, there's a strong link for rosacea and low stomach acid, but even mood disorders. A lot of times I'm screening patients to try to decide if they have low acid because Anything where you're, uh, where you could be affected, uh, affecting, you know, absorption, the microbiome, it could be at a root cause, um, low stomach acid, because 
then you're going to maldigest. Things are not getting broken down properly. It causes a microbiome problem. It causes problems with malnutrition. So you have vitamin deficiencies. You have neurotransmitter deficiencies. It's a big issue. So it is really important to kind of do that basic assessment. Yeah, for sure. And and how do we, can we use bitter foods to help us um, recover from low stomach acid? Yeah. So bitters are um, a fantastic way to help um, boost uh, stomach acid production. And so, you know, in some cases clinically, I'll actually use supplemental stomach acid, but I tend to rely on bitters more so um, mm. because supplementing the stomach acid does, it does play a role, but it needs to be done under, you know, careful um, consideration. And there's certainly higher risks associated with using um, like betaine HCL, but using the bitters, the risks are very low. Now, if you use something right. extremely bitter, like, you know, gentian and someone has like an ulcer or they have gastritis, that's the type of situation where you don't want to be using like supplemental, like liquid dietary bitters or mm-hmm. capsules of strong bitters, but certainly bitter foods are going to be an amazing option for, for someone who has a problem with low stomach acid. And, and that's where we think about starting out a meal with something that has, you know, a, that's really concentrated in bitter. So this is where I think about like an arugula salad with fresh lemon on it, like mm-hmm. start like that. And before you start with the main part of your meal. So I was introduced to bitters because I was a sugar addict and I kind of, I didn't know the science behind this This is before I was a nutritionist. I just started taking these bitter concoctions I would get from the Rastafarians in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. And what happened was within a month, my entire life changed, but I stopped being addicted to sugar. And so as a nutritionist, I knew that it had power over sugar addiction, but I feel like not enough people talk about this. Um, what are, why does that work? Like, why is it that like all of a sudden I'm not craving sugar and, and that also maybe even my insulin resistance might improve from eating bitter foods? Yeah. So, um, this is where that whole, so it helps your digestion. We, when we, most of us, when we think about, um, digestion, we think about like breaking down your food, absorbing food, but another part of digestion is hormonal. Um, and this is where we describe their, like the um, hormones that you don't hear as much about. And so my book, you know, the subtitle has to do with like hormones after 35. Now the hormones I'm really talking about are digestive hormones. And mm. this is where things like adiponectin, leptin, ghrelin, cholecystokinin, some of these uh, hormones that most people have never heard anything about, but these are really critical to controlling appetite for um, fat burning. And so when you eat bitters, it affects those hormones in a way that it actually, and these hormones signal to your brain, you know, that you're satisfied, your, you know, your appetite mm-hmm. will be reduced. It does impact that sugar craving because the sugar craving does actually come, you know, from, um, you know, those brain signals. Um, but it, stems from the gut, like those hormones are coming from the digestive process. Awesome. Um, What is the best way to get started? I think if people listening are really hearing you, they're probably sold by now. Um, What's the best way to get started? 
Yeah. So I would, obviously I would think they should buy my book and take a <laughs> read and learn like more in depth about it. But in there, I also talk about the dietary approach. So I really list, um, I have a lot of food lists in there, all, you know, plant-based food lists that highlight these strong bitter compounds and how to sort of set up your day to have more of these plants in your diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to overhaul everything all at once. It's, mm-hmm. you know, being mindful of food choices and even kind of timing. So just as I mentioned, maybe starting your meal with like a punch of bitter. And sometimes that actually might not be food. It might be herbal tea. It mm. might be warm lemon water. Um, and that will help improve how you res- how your body responds to the you know the, uh, these um digestive signals to incoming meal love it thank you so much where can people find you online and where can people get your book yeah so my book is available through all major booksellers so amazon barnes and noble independent booksellers my website is drstag.com drstag with two G's, S-T-A-G-G. Um, and I'm on Facebook and Instagram. So I would love for people to reach out and um, I'd love to interact with people um, online. And do you still practice? And if so, what, what kinds of conditions do you treat? Yeah, so I still, absolutely, I still have a practice in um, Connecticut. Uh, my husband is actually a chiropractor. So we started this practice back in 2006 still going strong. And a lot of the conditions I do treat are, are definitely around digestive health. Um, but I do treat conditions like autoimmune disease, um, you know, fat loss resistance. I do spend a lot of time working with patients, um, helping them improve their mood. Um, and that's a whole other section towards the end of the book about bitter feelings. That's a whole other, um, we probably need another podcast to get into that one. I think we actually should. Because <laughs> um, that's a whole other piece. So I, I kind of mentioned stress at the beginning, accelerating the aging process. And this is where that whole piece comes in. Yeah, it's a ton of that work. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Sack. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's time to take some questions from Instagram and email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs, or respond to the call for questions on my profile at The Raw Girl, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. The question for today is from Rochelle via email. She says, I am trying to lose weight and new to reading labels. Should I be counting the total carbohydrates or the sugars on the labels? Hi, Rochelle. That's a really great question. Sometimes labels can be a bit confusing. The total carbohydrates on the back of the package is the sum of the starches, fibers, and sugars. So whatever sugars are in the food in question are already included in that number. The sugars, however, include the natural sugars in whatever food or packaged food you have, and it also includes the added artificial sugars or sweeteners. So generally speaking, for most people, counting carbs can be counterproductive. 
Instead, focus on eating good quality carbs that are complex and cause your blood sugar levels to rise gradually. So like oatmeal, brown rice, whole grains, if you're not gluten intolerant, versus consuming foods like white rice, white flours, white sugars, sodas, fruit juices, or energy drinks, which will all elevate your blood sugar levels very quickly. You can also make sure to consume sugar from natural sources like fruit. If you eat anything from a package, try to keep the sugar content to 6 grams or less. The American Heart Association recommends limiting the amount of added sugars you consume to no more than half of your daily discretionary calories allowance. For most American women, that means no more than 100 calories per day, which is about 6 teaspoons of sugar or 25 grams. For men, that is 150 calories per day, which is about 9 teaspoons or 36 grams. I hope this helps you. All right, y'all, it is time to close out the show. Hopefully the show has informed you about why getting some bitters on your plate tonight may ultimately make you feel better, age better, and kick that sugar habit. If you already know that you're someone who shies away from bitter foods, I encourage you to start small. Start with a bitter tea in the morning or include some bitter vegetables as a side to your lunch or dinner. Remember, it's starting that's key because as you increase the amount of bitter foods you eat, the more you will tolerate them. In the words of a Catalan proverb, from the bitterness of disease, man learns the sweetness of health. I hope you learned today that to attain the sweetness of health, getting some bitter foods in your life is key. Well, that's all she wrote for today's show. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at TheRawGirl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, TheRawGirl.com. And for past episodes or more information about the show, visit StayingAgelessShow.com. 